It was this phrase that ignited such an excitement in American culture, such a pride for our nation that once that, that would then turn into what allowed men to walk on the moon just eight years later. It was that idea, that mindset, that ideal that JFK believed in that led the American people to such great heights. And it was that mindset and leadership that challenged them on that day. Instead of asking, what can the country do for you? JFK challenged them. He inspired them, everyone listening that day, to instead ask, what could they do for the country? We're going to come back to this thought in a short while. First, we need to remember and remind one another of the series that we've been engaged in on Sunday nights this past month of May. And what we've been doing is we've been trying to look at some of the fundamental aspects of our faith and our walk with God and on these different things that we might have initially felt like were settled or we may have already figured all of these things out. What we've been doing on Sunday nights is trying to give those items, give those aspects of our faith a second look. We've been trying to take these pillars of what it means to be a Christian and reframe them. Reframe the way that we look at these things. The way that we see these things and the way that we have always understood them in the past taking each of those things and reframing them and, and giving them a second look. You know, as the Apostle Paul who said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In this series, we've been trying to not be just conformed to the ideas and the understandings that we might have always been told. Taking it for granted, these different subjects, these different pillars of the Christian faith, and just conforming ourselves to what they've always meant to us in the past. Instead, we've been trying to take them and allow them to transform us by the renewing of our minds, by the reframing of our minds for our purposes tonight. And so in our first lesson, Jay Hall, our youth minister, presented a lesson on forgiveness, trying to encourage us and challenge us to change, to reframe the way that we have always looked at forgiveness. And so he took us right to the cross and showed us how transformational this forgiveness Jesus showed was how it transformed the crowd that day, and how those who watched and, and observed His forgiveness changed their lives because of it. Like the thief on the cross, like that Roman centurion who said, surely this must have been the Son of God. And the way we need to reframe forgiveness is that we need to understand it is unconditional in the way that we extend it to others. The same way... Christ gives us forgiveness, we also must forgive others. And then the second lesson of this series, Kyle Wright spoke about salvation. 
And when it comes to salvation, what we need to reframe is that it's not just a one-time deal. It's, it's not just a one-moment deal. It's a daily decision. It's a daily walk with God. And he talked about how God predestined the church, not individuals, but God predestined the church to be the vehicle in which that we can be saved. And he talked about how we can be in that vehicle or on that ride, so to speak. Last week, Mingu spoke to us talking about grace. What a wonderful job Mingu did. Challenging us with the thought that even though grace is free, it is conditional. And Mingu challenged us to reframe the way that we think about grace. Grace is free, but it is conditional. And grace should inspire us, it should compel us to aim high, to work hard, to do big things for God because of how big God's grace is. And tonight we're going to conclude this series, Reframe, we're going to be concluding it by attempting to look at the last thing in this series, reframing the church. We're going to try to reframe the church. And no, I'm not trying to change the church. I'm not trying to challenge what we understand the church to be or trying to change worship or, or trying to change fellowship or change outreach or any other aspect of what the church is. Instead, what we want to do tonight, what I'll be trying to do, what we are going to try to do together, is change our attitude when it comes to the church. Changing our attitude when it comes to the church, the way that we look at the church, the way that we act inside of the church and especially the way that we feel about the church. You see, the first way that one can look at the church, there's two that we're going to talk about tonight. The first way someone can look at the church is as a consumer. As a consumer, we look at the church. And we know what the idea of consumer is. We're all consumers in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We're all consumers at some point in another. In our culture, we understand what it means to be a consumer. The definition of consumer is a person who purchases or uses goods and services for personal use. Someone who purchases or uses goods and services for personal use. You know, as consumers, whenever we buy things, whenever you go to the store and, and you buy things, you know what you're doing? You're telling that company, I like this item. I like it so much that I'm willing to spend my money on it. I'm going to take it with me, and I like it so much, you should probably make more of it. Because I'll come back and I'll buy more of it next time. That's what it, the idea of consumer is we consume the goods that that company has and we take it for ourselves. Do you realize consumers are what drive supply and demand? 
the seventh grade economics class lesson that we've all heard is supply and demand. What drives supply and demand? Well, it's the consumer. If the demand for a product is no longer high, then the consumer, that's telling them, that's telling the company that the consumer no longer wants it. And the company is no longer going to supply that item anymore. But the more a consumer demands an, op- an item or, or some kind of product, that's the more that the company is going to supply it. But once the demand lessens, the company is going to bring in maybe new items, maybe a new spin on that same item, a, a new configuration or a similar product until the demand from consumers begins to rise on that product. This is seen through any corporation, is it not? The supply and demand, the, the, the changing of different aspects, trying to change different things so that consumers might want it more. We see this every day, every day of our lives. We see it when it comes to fashion. In fact, they, do, they work so hard with fashion, they get these celebrities and say, well, he's wearing it, she's wearing it, so I have to wear it, right? We see it when it comes to sports. They change different rules of the game. They change different aspects of the game to make it more interesting, to make it a better product so that consumers might want to watch and be a part of it a little bit more. The reason all of us can understand this idea of consumer, being consumers, is seen by how many times you are asked to review something. How many times have you been asked to evaluate places? How many emails have you gotten from different places asking, how was your experience? Jensie and I went to the Pacific Northwest for our honeymoon, and I'm still to this day, three-something years later, I guess almost three years, getting emails from the different hotels that we went to asking how our experience was. Three years later, we still get emails asking, how was your stay at the Hotel Azure? I'm like, I, I don't care. Leave me alone, you know, right? We all get inundated asking for reviews, asking us to rate a certain product. In fact, when you buy a certain product on Amazon, what do you look at? How many stars does it have? You read the reviews and you say, listen, this guy over in Ohio said that it was terrible, so maybe it's terrible and I shouldn't buy it. Because that person took the time to review that product and said it wasn't worth buying. And so when you look at different things that have one star, whether it be a restaurant, my mother is here with me tonight, as as well as my father. We've never gone into a restaurant in our lives that she has not looked at the health rating and decided whether or not we will eat there. If it is anything below a 90, pack them up, boys, we're going home. I mean, there is no chance we are eating anywhere half, halfway. That's consumerism. We understand ratings. We understand reviews. We understand what these different constructs are in our society. The consumer mentality is so deeply ingrained into the fabric of who we are as a culture that it is almost impossible not to view things as a consumer. And this happens even when it comes to the church. So how does this look like in the daily life of the church, someone might ask? 
just keep this to yourself, but let me know if you have ever caught yourself saying one of the following statements. Man, that prayer went so long. I thought I was going to fall asleep in the middle of it, closing my eyes. Have you ever caught yourself saying a statement, Man, if this guy don't hurry up, we'll never get to the sermon. The Lord's Supper, the thoughts are so long, there's no way that the preacher will get up there on time, and that means I'm going to miss lunch, and that means that the whole day is thrown off. This guy's got to hurry it up. Or maybe one we can all get on board with is, how long is this preacher going to go? I mean, how long is he going to stay up there talking and talking? He's already made the point he's being so repetitive. How long can he possibly continue to go? Have you ever caught yourself saying, this song leader just leads way too many songs that I don't know? He leads so many songs that I don't know that I'm just sitting there waiting till he sings one I do know. Or he sings too many verses of those songs. Or he sings at the wrong tempo. Or he sings the wrong pitch. Or have you said the statement, Man, I just didn't get anything out of that today. If you've caught yourself saying these statements, perhaps you even said all of them at some point in some service. If you've caught yourself saying those statements, it's because it's hard for us not to look at the church as consumers would. Don't get me wrong, even as a minister, I think these same things along with you. Jay, Kyle, myself, we always talk about different guest speakers that come in or, or different things that we thought about the service and it's hard for us even as ministers when we're up here the object of ridicule sometimes it's hard for us not to be critical of other aspects of the worship so don't get me wrong tonight I'm speaking to myself first and foremost but when this happens in the church when we are consumers in the church we are nothing that God wants us to be. We are nothing but consumers. And when we are nothing but consumers, instead of Christians, instead of what God wants us to be, when we are only consumers, our temptation is to say, well, we'll just never let the Lord's Supper guy get up there again. He'll, he'll just never do the Lord's Supper again. He did such an awful job. Our temptation is, when we're consumers, is to complain to the preacher, Preacher, you made me miss beating all the denominations to lunch. When we're nothing but consumers, we complain about the song selection. Because obviously, I as a consumer know what I'm talking about. And if I personally think that this aspect of the worship was awry, then surely everyone in the audience felt the same way as me. Obviously, because I felt like the song selection was off, or I felt like the preacher went long, or I felt like this, that, and the other, then everyone else is on the same page because I'm the consumer and this is my review. This is how I rate this service. We don't realize it, but that's exactly what we do on a weekly basis sometimes. Brethren, if we assemble with the saints to worship God, 
and leaves saying, I didn't get anything out of that today. If we come together to worship the almighty God of the universe, the creator of you and me and all that we see, and we leave having said, that did nothing for me. That is not the preacher's fault. That is not the song leader's fault. That is not the elder's fault. That is not the Lord's Supper's fault. That is your fault. And that is my fault. Whenever we leave service and have the audacity to say, worshiping God today did nothing for me. Worshiping God today did not motivate me, challenge me, encourage me, edify me in any way. Brethren, when we talk like that, we have a heart problem. I have a secret for you tonight. Perhaps you've never heard this before. But worship is not about you. Worshiping God is not about you or me. Worshiping God has always been about God, has always been for God, and has always been to God. If you turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29, we're going to go over a few passages that show us who worship is for. 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29. It says, Give to the Lord the glory due to His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. And the text continues. Who does this say worship is for or towards? It says that we are to give to the Lord the glory due His name. That we are to bring an offering to the Lord and come before Him. Psalm chapter 68 and verse 4 tells us, Sing to God, sing praises to His name, extol Him. Him who rides on the clouds by His name, Yah, and rejoice before Him. The psalmist will say in chapter 95 and verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Many of us know the next verse in John chapter 4 and verse 24. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And he's talking about how God desires a certain type of person to worship Him. John chapter 4 and verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. The writer says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve, some translations say worship, God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. 
for our God is a consuming fire. You see, this is just a few of the dozens of passages that we could read throughout God's Word that tell us that God is the audience of our worship. God is to whom we are to be worshiping. God is the reason in which we are worshiping. God is why we worship. Our worship is to Him, for Him, and because of Him. Well, Ben, aren't I supposed to get something out of worship too? Isn't worship supposed to edify me and encourage me and allow me to be more prepared for my walk with God? Isn't worship somewhat about me? Obviously, but not in the way that you might think. God did not create worship so that it could be meaningful to you. I'm going to explain what I'm trying to say here tonight. Of course, worship is going to impact us, but definitely not in the way that we might have allowed it to in the past. Worship does not impact us or edify us or encourage us because of how great the song leader is. It should not help us or encourage us because of how great the preacher is or because of how great the Lord's Supper thoughts are. We are supposed to be built up and encouraged because of how good God is. How good God is, 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 is to us by allowing us to worship Him in the first place. That the Almighty God and the Creator of the universe wants me to pray to Him. He wants me to sing to Him. That is what should build us up. That is what should edify us and encourage us when we leave this building. Not because of how good the men in front of you are. Not because of how inadequate the men in front of you are. We should leave encouraged and edified because of how good God is to allow us to worship Him. Even though we are sinners, even though we fall short, even though we do not deserve an audience with the Almighty God. That is what should build us up. Not how well the person next to you or around you sings, or how powerful the preacher might be. But it's because of who the preacher is talking about and what the songs are saying and who we are singing to. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, another verse that we so frequently use to talk about worship, to talk about singing. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Really quickly flip over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Very similar statement is made by Paul. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I have a few questions tonight to ask each of us, to ask myself. After reading these two passages, does the song selection determine our ability to speak to one another? To admonish one another? To sing and to make melody in our hearts through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord? I sure hope not. Does the number of verses the song leader sings determine our ability to do those things? I certainly hope not. Because every single time that we come together and assemble to sing, we should be singing towards the Lord in the best way we possibly can. With the mouse that He gave us, with the abilities that He gave us. Because it's about Him and it always has been. We should let nothing dictate whether we are able to teach and admonish one another. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Especially when it is directed to the Lord. When we teach and when we admonish one another and when we make melody in our hearts to the Lord, when we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord, how could we possibly leave saying, I got nothing out of that? How could we possibly leave worshiping God together with one voice towards the Lord? How could we do that and leave saying, I got nothing out of that? The answer has to be because we look at the church as consumers would. The answer has to be that we often look at the church as a consumer. And when we look at the church as consumers, it's almost impossible to worship the Father in spirit and in truth the way He wants us to. It's impossible to worship in spirit and in truth the spirit that God wants us to worship in if our spirit is only about ourselves. When our spirit is no longer about Him and what glorifies His name, but is instead about us and what makes us feel something or makes us feel good or makes us... You fill in the blank. There's no way we can have the spirit that God wants us to have in worship. You know the definition of consumer earlier, we said it was someone who purchases goods or, or services for their personal use. A lot of times we come into this building and look for what is good for our personal use. If it is not good for me personally, then I don't want anything to do with it. 
I don't care if it is good for the person sitting next to me or good for the person around the room that needs me to talk to them or needs me to sit there and sing and teach and admonish the way we've been called to do. That's what happens when we become consumers. We don't care about anything but ourselves. And some people come into worship just like they're coming into a movie theater. They are here for the experience and nothing else. They expect not to be changed, not to be uh, impacted in any way, not to be called to any sort of action. As long as this service caters to all of my favorite things, then I'll leave happy. Happy that I've gone along the ride and I'll look forward to the sequel. That's how we act about the church sometimes. And the truth is, worship is not the only thing in jeopardy when it comes to the consumer mindset. Worship is not the only thing that we have to worry about when it comes to this consumer mindset. Fellowship is also in jeopardy when we allow consumerism to impact our daily walk with God. Because if we look at fellowship with this consumer mindset, we will look at fellowship and say very similar statements to what we said about worship earlier. Well, my friend's not going to that fellowship, so I'm not going. Or, that person is going to that fellowship, so I'm definitely not going. Or perhaps we might say all they ever have is pizza. So I'm not going to that fellowship. Or we might say, if I go to that fellowship meal, I'll have to wait in line, and by the time I get to the food, it'll be cold, or it'll be gone altogether. So why would I even go? We look at fellowship the same way we look at worship sometimes, as consumers. Instead, Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as also you are doing. Comfort one another, edify one another. Romans 1 verse 12, Paul talks about why he was writing this letter, why he was encouraged to be with the church in Rome again once soon. And one of the reasons he says is that, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 12, that is, that I might be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Fellowship is something that we do with one another. But if we are simply consumers, we will allow ourselves to not fellowship anymore. If we are simply consumers, we will say, as long as I'm going to worship, I don't have to do anything else. God called me to worship Him, and that's simply it. No, it's simply not. Our fellowship is at stake when we look at the church as consumers. But that's not the only thing at stake. Our outreach is also at stake whenever we look at it as consumers. Because we might start to say sentences like this, if it makes me uncomfortable, then why would I do it? 
If I do not see immediate results, if this thing is not going to produce immediate fruit, then why would I even do it in the first place? If I am not going to be received, if I'm simply going to be rejected, then why would I do this? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul talks about his, his mentality when it comes to outreach. We've talked about that at the round table lately. But Paul says in that passage that he became as one with law for the Jews. He became as one without law for the Gentiles. He became weak to those who were weak. He became all things to all men so that he might by all means save some. And he did this for the gospel's sake. Does it sound like Paul looked at outreach with a consumer mindset? No. The very fundamental aspects of what it means to be a Christian and what the church is, is supposed to be based on our response to the gospel. And if our response to the gospel is as a consumer, we are not doing what God wants us to do as a church. And we simply cannot even be called Christians. So that's the first way, and the second way is way shorter, I promise. The first way to look at the church is as a consumer. And sadly, many of us look at it that way. The second way to look at the church is as a contributor. A contributor is someone who gives or adds something to help achieve a goal. A contributor is not worried about what they might get out of something. A contributor is concerned with adding whatever they can for the overall success of that thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be some kind of great and outstanding, great magnitude of a contribution. But a Christian who contributes is going to contribute whatever they can, either way. A contributor is the one that uses the talents that God gave them for His glory. Whether it be the five-talent man, the two-talent man, or even the one-talent man. A contributor does not bury it in the ground. Someone who contributes looks to see how they can add something, even if it is very small. A contributor might not be the greatest singer in the world, but they're going to sing their hearts out for God. Because they understand what singing is for, who singing is for, and why we sing. A contributor might not be the greatest evangelist in the world, but they are going to reach out to their co-workers, to their family, to their friends, to their neighbors, to their classmates, whoever the case might be, because they understand that if they don't, no one else will. A contributor might not be the best people person that you've ever met in the world, but they're going to be at every fellowship meal and every fellowship opportunity because they know 
that the church is supposed to be about building one another up any way that we possibly can. So tonight, the question is, are you, you personally, a consumer or a contributor? Different ways you can see which one you are is answering these questions. Are you simply a spectator or are you a participant? Are you a criticizer or a worshiper? Are you about what you can get or are you about going and doing? And lastly, are you a taker or are you a giver? The answer to these questions tells us, tells yourself, whether you are a consumer or a contributor. The last passage we'll look at is Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18, where Paul would say, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that there are, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their own belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. A consumer seeks only that which fills their own belly. A consumer is about their own glory. A consumer has set their mind on earthly things. When our full devotion and focus is on what we can get out of church and not what we can put into it, we are simply filling our own stomachs. And when we do that, Paul says in this passage that we are bound for destruction. And later he's going to talk about citizenship in verse 20. Our citizenship is in question as well. Tonight as we bring this lesson to a close, it's hard not to admit that each of us struggle with consumerism on a daily basis. We struggle separating the way we interact with the rest of the world with how we should interact with the church. We even feel justified in our complaints and our criticisms sometimes because those same types of complaints and criticisms are not only acceptable in the rest of our lives, in the rest of the realms of life, they're not only acceptable, but they're requested. But when we allow the consumer mindset to dictate our Christianity in the way that we worship, in the way that we fellowship, in the way that we reach out to the community, we are hindering the gospel, of call, the gospel and the cause of Christ. That is why tonight we need to reframe our attitude in the way that we see the church. Because the church is not a product or an item or a business that we are supposed to be poking holes in. The church is you and me. We are the body of Christ. When you are poking holes in, criticizing, you're criticizing your brother. You're criticizing your sister. And we're supposed to be the family here on earth. If all we ever do is consume, then why should we ever expect to be adequately fed? 
That sounds a little ridiculous, doesn't it? You think if you consume, the more you consume, the more fed you will become. But tonight when we think about this, the more you are a consumer, the less fed you actually are. You're actually starving yourself because you're contributing nothing. And so, my fellow Christians, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Instead of asking what you can get out of the sermon when the preacher is not your favorite, ask what God is trying to communicate through His Word. Instead of asking what you can get out of singing when the song leader sings a tempo you don't like, the wrong pitch, sings the wrong songs that you don't like, or the wrong amount of verses for your personal liking, instead of that, ask what you can offer the people around you as you seek to teach and admonish and to speak to them as we collectively sing to God. Instead of asking what you can get out of fellowship, why not ask what you can offer to those who are going to be there? Instead of, ask, instead of asking what you can get out of evangelism and service, why not ask what you can offer the lost in the community surrounding you? When it comes to your walk with God, are you a consumer or a contributor? Tonight, you have the opportunity to make it right by coming forward and repenting of your sins and allowing God to prick your heart and to change your mind and to allow you to leave this building ready to contribute something for the cause of Christ. To allow you to finally quit being so critical and start being who God wants you to be. If all you ever ask is what can the church do for me, you're simply a consumer. God wants you to ask what you can do for Him. What are you willing to do for God? As together we stand and sing for your encouragement.